Hello everyone, welcome back to ESSA's 2020 podcast series, Conversations with ESSA. Last week we discussed working in the public sector with Anthony Rossiter, so if that interests you, make sure to check that out. This is episode 3 in our four-part series, where we will be continuing to explore the pathways that students interested in economics can take, more specifically in the private sector. But before we get into that, let me introduce myself. My name is Abhinav, and I'm a first-year student at Monash University, and today I will be joined by my co-host Camille. How are you doing, Camille? I'm well, thanks. Hi, I'm also a first-year student at Monash, and this week we'll be joined by our special guest, Emma Gray, who is the manager of the Macroeconomic Policy and Forecasting Team at Deloitte Access Economics, and also happens to be a past Monash student. So welcome, Emma. Thanks for coming today. Hi, Camille. Hi, Abhinav. Thanks for having me. No worries. So we just start off by, um, can you tell us a bit about what you studied and why you decided to choose economics as a career? Yeah, so I studied economics, a Bachelor of Economics at Monash University, and I majored in economics and econometrics. And then following my bachelor degree I did an honours year and was able to utilise the very unique uh, joint honours program that Monash offers which is a joint honours year in both economics and econometrics Uh, and I think doing that joint uh, honours year kind of speaks to uh, what I was really looking for in studying economics which was variety so I've always had a bit of a a problem in trying to make a decision or whittle my choices down <laughs> so uh, ec- so that variety uh, and the ability to keep my options open is really why I chose economics uh, because I realized that it could take me down so many different paths because there's so many different types of economics and it can just be applied to almost everything. Mm, okay yeah so did you think that um it's like how did you choose econometrics is that something you always like envisioned from the beginning or something inspired you yeah well I've I was always a fairly mathsy person at school mm. and when I was attending like open days and career information sessions I heard some of the lecturers and faculty staff talking about econometrics at their economic information sessions and it kind of stood out to me as something really practical. Um, So I think when you're studying econometrics it can sometimes be quite theoretical but then some of the lecturers are able to show you, you know, once you've been through the theory and dealt with learning derivations of various equations and things like that, you can actually get your hands on data and do some really interesting stuff with it. And Mm. being able to like put actual numbers to things and estimate relationships between things and say, we don't just think this, we now know it because we've shown it through this data. I feel that's just, excuse me, I feel that's just so useful and important and interesting so that's kind of what really drew me to the econometrics path within economics. Okay cool so is that also why you decided to do an honours degree just because of like the data side of it? Yeah well 
I think the variety that economics can offer is sometimes a bit of a double-edged sword. So Mm. it's fantastic because for people like me, it means I don't need to whittle down my options and I can keep (laughs) this kind of wide spread of opportunities open to me. But then it also means that sometimes as you're going through your subjects, they can all feel kind of very different from one another and sometimes it can all just feel a bit vague and I think towards the end of my third year, like I'd learned a lot, but I couldn't quite recognize exactly what I'd learned in terms of a whole consolidated mm, thing. Yeah. And I couldn't really see that, okay, so what like work skills has this equipped me with? Even though it had, I just couldn't mm. really see that because of how intangible economics can sometimes be. So the honours year was really a chance for me to consolidate all of my knowledge, bring it together, mm. um, particularly through the research project and the thesis that you write during your honours year. And that was a fantastic opportunity for me to be able to put everything that I'd learned into one thing and sort of see make it a lot more tangible as to the skills and abilities that all the things I'd studied thus far had given me and sort of turn that all into something practical so I think that was a really good step before entering the workforce because it kind of showed me how I could use what I'd learned in a practical environment. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't see it that way, but that's good to know that it really helped you um, develop those skills to bring into the workforce. Um, I just wanted to ask a bit, I know you started at Monash, so was there any sort of clubs or societies you were involved in at your time at Monash? Um, I was involved with the Business and Commerce Student Society. I think SL okay. was only just starting to become a thing um, mm. <laughs> at, at <Monash laughs> when I was there. So certainly, you know, not not a dig at ESSA. <laughs> Would have definitely loved to be involved. Um, so I was involved in that. I also, the Business and Economics Faculty runs uh, various programs for students throughout the whole faculty and I participated in their ambassadors program which was for um, I think it was for second year students um, or penultimate year students and uh, so that wasn't just people in economics it was people from across the faculty but it was a great chance to get to know other students in a similar position to me, have a great cohort of friends who were sort of doing the similar subjects to me, mm. going through the same experience. And then also it's the purpose of the program is to provide us with some practical work and career development skills. So that was a fantastic opportunity. Well, that's great to hear. So do you think that... um helped you um, as you're going into the workforce, like give you skills um, and exposure? Yeah, I think it was useful in just starting the thought process about Mm. leadership and business writing and those various different um, kind of realms. Uh, So, yeah, it was great in, I think, getting us thinking about that. Um, 
But I honestly feel like the biggest value from those kinds of programs is just the people you meet, being able to have those conversations with your peers and build a network with your peers. And now I actually work with um, a couple people from that cohort um, at Deploy Access Economics. So it's this fantastic network that's kind Mm. of seen seen us through uh, that was several years ago now. So seen us through for like eight or nine years and that that network will continue forward as well. So I think there's a lot of value in you know, the peers and like-minded people that you can meet while at university because there's no doubt you'll run into them again. Uh, economics, while being so broad and huge, can sometimes be a bit of a small world mm. <laughs> once you're working in it. So it's yeah. really useful to have those connections and already know people in the field no that's really good that's really good that's definitely something that me and Abhinav would definitely want to see in the future um, mm, definitely yeah. <laughs> I guess now we can probably head more into what you're actually doing now at Deloitte so if you could tell us a bit about what your work entails and what exactly is an econometrician yeah so an econometrician is essentially a big stats nerd. So I love data and I love economics and being an econometrician lets me apply uh, data to economic theories and ideas and concepts. So rather than just saying, oh, we think that when this happens, this might also happen, we can actually show it with data and we can estimate the degree to which it happens and we can put a number on it. We can estimate who's most at risk of um, poor economic and social outcomes so that governments can target policies at the right people. Um, And then we can also use econometrics to try to forecast what's going to happen next. Uh, That's a bit more straightforward when there's not a global pandemic and an economic recession on, but we're still pushing forward with that. So <laughs> that gets to a lot of what my job is within the macroeconomic policy and forecasting team. I run our macroeconomic forecast modelling. So uh, we've got existing models which we kind of update and maintain and use to produce a new set of forecasts every three months once new data is available and with those forecasts we're able to provide them not just to clients and governments and people who are interested in them but also using them for specific project work so using our macroeconomic forecast to perhaps drive forecasts of something more specific um, that a client might be particularly interested in and then our team also and myself also does non-forecast work as well Uh, lots of policy related work uh, for governments uh, informing uh, client private sector clients on strategic and business decisions based on the economic environment and also an area where I love applying econometrics to is in using data to estimate how people's experiences and characteristics impact their economic and social outcomes. So that's essentially quantifying inequality 
um, and in some ways quantifying certain aspects of diversity. And that's so useful for policymaking because I strongly believe that policymaking needs to have in mind the fact that we are different people and we will be affected by policies in different ways. And so policy needs to consider that from the start um, and using econometrics to show that and help guide and target policy is a really useful way of creating that kind of positive change. Yeah, that's that's very interesting to hear. Um, one thing that I would like to know is how do you actually go about developing these forecasts and models? Like, um, what was what's the kind of process that you would use uh, to analyze the data and come up with these figures? Well, the first step is figuring out what data you actually need or what data you would love to have if it existed and then trying to find that data. So um, the majority of economic data in Australia is published by the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the ABS, and they're a great resource. But sometimes when you want really specific things like something for a specific region or um, things that are kind of much more detailed than the general macro level, it can be hard to find that information. So the first step, yeah, is figuring out what data we need and then trying to find it. Um, data in the real world is never perfect. So data cleaning, manipulation, all that kind of practical stuff that you might not spend as much time getting into the nitty gritty of during university um, is part of the job. <laughs> and then once that's done, we can get into the fun parts of looking at the data and starting to think about some appropriate forecast model specifications. So before forecasting, I always just chart my data and look at it visually. And that's the first, that's a super important step to then thinking about what's an appropriate method for forecasting this going to be. And we are fortunate in that we have this massive existing macroeconomic forecast capability. So we constantly have updated forecasts of macroeconomic variables. So often we will rely on methods that use our existing macroeconomic forecasts as drivers of some more specific things or unique things that we want to forecast. Oh, thank you for that. Um, I guess the last thing that I wanted to ask was what kind of skills do you think are most important for an econometrician to have? Um, I think probably similar skills to a general economist, I would say, um, aside from the mathsy kind of aspect of it is the key difference. But um, that kind of interest and willingness to learn and ability to learn, I think is really important. Um, that might sound a bit silly because that's obviously what you're at university to do. <laughs> but um, because economics and econometrics can just be applied to so many different things <laughs> you're never going to be able to learn everything at university and I think that really hit home for me when COVID happened so before COVID I'd been in charge of running our macroeconomic forecast models for about a year and I was reflecting on that 
and assessing my progress and thinking, this has been fantastic. I've built up so much macroeconomic knowledge. Um, I obviously want to keep developing that, but perhaps it's time to focus on developing other parts of, of my knowledge and my career. And then COVID struck and I realised, wow, I suddenly feel like I know nothing. I have so much more to learn and definitely still need to focus on building up my macroeconomic knowledge. So I think uh, having an interest in the top, well, in any topic, <laughs> because you could apply economics and econometrics to any topic, having a genuine interest and a passion for it, because that'll give you this willingness and ability to pick things up and learn and that's probably one of the most important skills in this field yeah i think it's uh, very important for this like students in uni to like know that the learning kind of never really stops even after uni you just keep on going yeah and, and i think i probably found that a daunting process when i left university um because I felt like I sort of wanted formal training as opposed to just learning on the job. Um, and that prospect scared me a bit, but it's actually been a lot easier than I could have imagined. And I think the reason why it's been fairly easy to learn on the job is because I work with people who are really passionate about and interested in what we do. So we're always having conversations about things and I'm really interested in and passionate about what we do so I'm really open and willing to learn. Awesome so just continuing on your work at Deloitte um, you briefly mentioned it but could you elaborate a bit more about your experience being the manager of the macroeconomic policy and forecasting team especially like at a time like now? Yeah so um, I've I came into the team as a graduate and have been fortunate enough to enjoy my job and <laughs> stay there and progress up the ranks to manager so far. Um, and so over time, that role, my role has evolved. Uh, so as a graduate and an analyst, it was really focused um, more so on doing things. Um, and as a manager, there's still a lot of doing things so collecting mm. the data analyzing the data and and um doing work or writing up reports talking about our our uh, results of our analysis and such um but then the main change over time of being a manager has been a part of an increasing part of my role has been to think about strategy think about the kinds of projects and work that we really want to be doing, trying to make connections with clients uh, so that we can be winning and doing the kind of work that we're really great at and want to be mm. doing. And then also really focusing on the team. Uh, so coaching junior staff and trying to make sure that the rest of the team is able to work on projects uh, that they really want to be doing and help foster the development of other team members as well. Mm. Okay. And with that, what are some of like the challenges that the big challenges that you've encountered as manager? Um, so 
because I have an econometrics background, I can be quite a detail-oriented person and mm. I really like sort of doing things and getting into the nitty-gritty um, and that is fantastic when you come in as a graduate and an analyst and so having people who, you know, want to dive into that detail is really useful. Um, I think the main problem as you get a bit more senior is trying to let that go um, <laughs> and uh, because you need to partly because you've now got other parts of your job that you need to do so you can't spend time um, doing everything yourself but then you also need to for the development of others. Um, I have to sometimes remind myself that I have partly got to where I am because of the opportunities that I was given and the responsibility that I was given when mm -hmm. I was still fairly junior to really get hands-on and um, come up with ideas for analysis and just do things myself. And so it would be terrible of me as a manager if I were to deprive others of that because I want to do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's been um, probably my main challenge in just shifting that mindset and letting go a little bit um, mm -hmm. and giving others <laughs> the opportunity to, to learn and grow. Okay, cool. So what would you say that, um, you like most about your job then? Gosh, um, I <laughs> really love the team. Uh, all the people that I work with are super passionate about what we do and mm. our you know casual conversations in the kitchen over a cup of coffee are just about latest policy decisions or new data that's been released <laughs> because we're all nerds so um working with yeah nerdy passionate people and just being able to kind of be open about that and uh, all foster each other's enthusiasm and learning, I think is, yeah, just such a wonderful part of my job. That's really great to hear. So um, you mentioned before that you started at Deloitte as a grad. Um, so what was your experience like um, climbing the ranks? Yes, yeah, so I started as a graduate at Deloitte Access Economics in 2016 and uh I guess the progression from graduate to analyst is fairly kind of assumed, but I realised mm -hmm. that through my graduate year, I was, because I was showing that I was capable of it, because I was really interested and passionate and working hard, I was being able to take on a fair bit of responsibility um, that was perhaps a little bit beyond the normal expectations of the graduate level. And so I just kind of noticed that and ran with that and kept just doing what I was, uh, kept really focusing on my development and my growth and doing what I was passionate about and driving that forward. And then that's been able to drive my career progression really fortunately um working where I work it's the kind of place where um or in the public sector more broadly there's often sort of flexibility to be able to recognize people who are putting extra effort in and mm. uh and achieving perhaps higher than the level that they're working at um 
that's been a little bit dampened by COVID, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, so I was in a very fortunate position to have been promoted to manager not long before COVID struck. Um, but okay. uh, yeah, I think COVID, not just in the private sector, but across the board is uh, is standing in the way um, for some people, which, which is quite frustrating. So, uh, but that said, hopefully COVID won't last forever and <laughs> we will emerge from this. <laughs> and while um, a lot of workplaces and um, businesses are in fairly contractionary phases at the moment, we'll mm. get back into an expansion phase. Yeah. And so I have no doubt that those opportunities will return. Yeah, I guess kind of going on from the COVID topic, uh, how do you think your job's going to change in the future as a result of this pandemic? Yeah, well, it's already changed a fair bit this year in that suddenly macroeconomists are in huge demand. <laughs> and I'm very fortunate to work for people, uh, the partners in my team, who as soon as they noticed that there was a big surge in demand from the media for people in our team to be talking to the news and giving opinions on what was happening. They used that as an opportunity to let um, people other than the partners, so <laughs> let us other staff get a bit of media exposure and um, media training. So that's a big change that the COVID brought um, and a positive change, I'd say. Um, I think there's there's both more emphasis on but also perhaps slightly less trust in forecasts and forecasting at the moment. Um, everyone wants to know what's going to happen next, but then everyone also admits that no one really knows what's going to happen next. Um, so dealing with that and trying to manage public and client expectations around um, what what value you can get from forecasts at the moment and how forecasts should really be being used at the moment. So perhaps there might be a bit more emphasis going forward on scenario analysis and scenario forecasts, which is something that we do. Um, and then aside from that, uh, going forward, I think there'll also be an increasing amount of work in relation to government policy focused on inequality um, and the focus of the public and private businesses on inequality. Um, unfortunately, COVID has, well, it could be a fortunate thing in that it's really shone a light on existing inequalities in our economy. The unfortunate side of that is that um, a lot of people have been suffering fairly poor economic and social outcomes. Um, but the benefit of COVID really shining a light on that is that people are more motivated and more invested in doing something about it. So I'm hoping that as we go forward, uh, that will be that kind of work, analysing that and figuring out how to try to reduce inequalities will be an increasing part of my job. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I was just thinking, as a result of all these kind of changes that are going on um, in people's jobs, will there be a change in like the skills that economists need in the future as well? 
Yeah, so I think communication is probably a big one. Um, a lot of economists are notoriously known as um, perhaps old white male nerds. <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with that and not that there's anything wrong with being a nerd because I <laughs> definitely am one. But we've realised through the pandemic the importance of being able to communicate what's happening not just to our clients, but to the public. There was a lot of confusion and uncertainty and panic when COVID was first hitting. Um, and so fortunately, my team was able to recognise that we could play an important role in um, having a voice in the public and being able to communicate our view on what was really happening and what an appropriate response would be. So I think communication is a really important one, um, being able to get across economic concepts clearly. For sure. Thank you. Uh, it's the last thing I wanted to ask you uh, regarding COVID is if you could give one piece of advice to students, uh, what could we learn from this pandemic? Gosh, that's a big one <laughs> um, because there's so many different things that I imagine there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of different research papers coming out of this <laughs> pandemic on the other side. So in terms of the one thing to learn from it, I think probably going back to the fact that in economics, your learning journey is never over. And my bosses also acknowledged while COVID was happening that they still have a lot to learn as well. Um, so, yeah, I think you can take away from this pandemic that we can learn more about economics and uh, economic interactions and people's personal economic and social situations and how those react to the macro economy from we can learn more about that from the pandemic itself but we can learn more about that all the time no matter what's happening so uh, yeah I I would take away from it that whenever all of these crazy things are happening in the world be it positive or negative or even if things just sort of go back to a relative normal um, <laughs> you can always be watching the news and trying to relate what's happening to concepts and ideas that you've been learning in class and using what's happening in the world to try and further your own personal learning experience. Mm, that's a really good point to make, especially like at a time like this, learning to how to adapt to all the new changes and all that. So going um, over the advice, um, I just wanted to ask, what could students do in these difficult times to prepare to set themselves apart from others, like when applying for um, internships or grad positions? Yeah, so uh, partly involvement in in things like what you, Camille and Abhinav, are doing, um, involvement with various societies, but it doesn't necessarily have to be directly related to what you're studying. Um, mm. if there's if there are causes or topics or anything that you're really interested in, I'd say invest time in be it volunteering or working or even if it's just reading up 
on a topic that might not be directly related to economics but that you're really passionate about because one of the things that really shines through in interviews in the economics field is when people have a passion in something and they're able to sort of talk about it and uh, so whatever that may be uh, because again that gets back to showing your willingness and your ability to learn um, and your your passion in economics uh, or even if it's not economics even if it's not economics topics that economics can be applied to Hmm. so uh, yeah so I think finding something that you're passionate about and trying to kind of improve your knowledge or focus in on that is really important and then again reiterating the constant learning journey just trying to uh, demonstrate your willingness and your ability to learn and pick up new Mm. things I think if you can demonstrate that along with knowledge and passion about something be it broad or random then you're setting yourself up pretty well it's definitely some good advice to give students, um, something that we would also take away. So now I just wanted to ask, spinning the advice around to yourself, but what would be one piece of advice you would tell yourself as a first or second year student at Monash? I think I would probably tell myself that I didn't need to have it all figured out. I didn't need to necessarily know exactly what I wanted to do or who I wanted to work for um economics is just one of those fantastic fields where kind of any kind of experience you have even if it's outside of the economics field is always going to be useful and it's going to teach you even if it's um working in in retail we have um, people in our team whose entire job is economics of retail markets. So <laughs> any experience is useful and can teach mm. you about the way that businesses and the world around us and supply chains and c- consumer behaviour and business behaviour, how all of that works. So I think I would try to tell myself that kind of what I was doing was enough and that it was all good learning um, and that I therefore didn't have to be picking right from the start exactly what direction I wanted to be heading in because as time goes on and as you get more experience even in your first few years of of working um, it's all still just teaching you about what you do like and what you don't like and um, I think the the path for me in discovering where I want to take my career and what work I really enjoyed doing has just come quite naturally whereas I originally thought I sort of had to really have it figured out right from the start so Mm. I think I'd tell myself just to stop worrying about that so much and just Mm. let my learning and where I was going uh, teach me and take me along that journey over time rather than just knowing right from the start. Mm, that's good. That's good to hear because I know I'm it's myself and I'm sure a lot of other 
first year students who would be stressing about like oh I'm not sure what to do I don't know but yeah it's good to hear that you also thinking that um as well so yeah and remind yourself that all experience is good experience Mm, even if it teaches you that you hate something (laughs) (laughs) at least then you know know. yeah exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right well I think that's all we have to ask you today just want to give you a big thank you Emma for taking the time to speak with us today I'm sure everyone listening would find your advice very insightful and all your thoughts um yeah so thank you no worries at all thank you so much for having me oh good so thanks everyone for listening uh, and stay tuned for the final episode of our four-part series which will continue to explore economic pathways in a different private company